Christian Crucis, the Nimitis Nostris, Liberus Deus Noster, in the Manipatis Filipi to Santi Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We can begin our retreat uh, with a brief passage from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, It's quite striking, this one phrase. It says, God thirsts that we may thirst for him. Actually quoting from St. Augustine. God thirsts. Could it be that I be driven by the very thirst that God has for me? That's why I come to this retreat thirsting. I realize I come not just because I'm thirsting, but because God has been waiting anxiously for me to show up. So much so that he's, he's thirsting. Just like from the cross, he said that simple word, sitio, I thirst. He thirsted as he was redeeming us. He thirsted with the Samaritan woman at the well who he reached out to and asked her to quell his thirst. And that, that question, which he asked her for, for water, led to a deep conversation about her life, about her doubts, her worries, her marriage, or in other words, her, vo- her vocation, and I guess how it had gone wrong, and her sins. And that conversation eventually led to her conversion. She ran off to the town, informed all her friends, told everyone. And we can imagine she must have been very effective. But it started with that thirst of Jesus. I mean, it would have been an authentic thirst. Jesus was really, he was thirsty. He tired, presumably, while his disciples went out to get food. So like the Samaritan woman, we have arrived here with all the changes in the schedule and we would have liked to have done it nicely at Cedar Crest or at the Manoir or whatever, but okay, we've nevertheless come here. And we're here to hear, to listen to what God has to say to us. And let's see if we can perceive that thirst, or at least the words. But for us to hear our Lord, 
We're going to have to begin the retreat by clearing the land. Clearing the land where our Lord wants to arrive. When you read somebody like St. John of the Cross, he speaks about an ascent, like the ascent to Mount Carmel, and as a kind of a strenuous climb towards God, rising up to the mountain of God, and, and certainly that speaks of the ascetical struggle and how we have to struggle to move towards God. But at the same time, we know that the biblical message also tells us that that it is really God who comes towards us, comes down to us. Like the, the angel who, the angel Gabriel who came to Mary's house, she did not have to go to the temple like Zechariah had to go six months earlier where he had to go into a solemn liturgy in the temple. Now God entered her lowly home because she was ready. She was immaculately conceived. So he could enter into her home, enter into her soul. But for that to happen, she had to be very well prepared. prepared. We know she was prepared by God. So in this retreat too, we have to imagine that it's God who wants to come down. It's not so much we that have to go up a mountain, but God wants to come down with his grace into our soul but we have to clear the ground. Like the, like the helicopter who, that lands, you can hear the chopper coming down now. Well, like in those Vietnam movies, they would have to clear the ground so that as the choppers come in and, and, and the wind is blowing and the, and, and the trees are swaying back and forth and, and there's this enormous wind coming down. Well, they, they can't just land in the middle of, of heavy brush. They have to bring the... The, the wounded into clearing and and then when they're in the clearing the helicopter can land they place the soldiers into the helicopter and they take them off to safety so Lord I want to I want to clear the land now so that you can take me to a safer place you can pull me up with your grace during this retreat not just going to be any old retreat stuff I've heard that's why we'll have to take care of silence silence seems to always be the same silence is silence but there can be an active silence that I may not have fully discovered I would say that silence is a way of clearing the brush clearing the trees, clearing the area for God's grace to come down. Because we know our society finds it difficult to disconnect. We find it difficult to disconnect. And uh, I recommend uh, airplane mode so that the helicopter can land. (laughs) And uh, we cannot be content right now with anything in our life that is not truly Christ-like. 
Is there, what is there in my life that is not truly informed by my vocation? In, in the post-communion prayer, the prayer for Christmas Day, we ask God to catch our breath. It says, may your fat, faithful catch their breath by the means of the celebration of your son's birth. It's like addressed to God the Father, and this, like, we have to catch our breath. And Cardinal Ratzinger, when he, still Cardinal Ratzinger, mentions this, how we are to catch our breath, or for that matter, how we are to breathe in this prayer, the liturgy is not exactly specified, and so we are free to, to take the word in the simply human sense that we hear of it when we think about it in first sight. And, you know, in other words, that, that this feast of Christmas is just going to let us catch our, our breath again. Maybe we've been kind of out of breath with the hustle and bustle, with uh, sort of the, the, the cluttering of, of the days with so many things to do causes us to kind of be short of breath, it smothers us with all the rush of meeting deadlines and, uh, and work in these special circumstances. So according to this prayer, let us catch our breath again, it says. It can be said that with all the more assurance that the feast is given to us so that we can have a little bit more peace, peace and quiet. Silence, and that we should unhesitatingly accept the gift that God will give us during this retreat and, of course, during the festivities. And, and so what, what is the reason we have to, I mean, ultimately catch our breath or what, what are we going to do? Well, we can go to a beautiful passage here in St. Luke, Chapter 14, we picture the crowds around Jesus. They're very fascinated by this teacher. There are people of all kinds, all social levels, all intelligences. And uh, he says, after talking about bearing one's cross and coming after me, like the meaning of being a disciple, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish. Which one of you, beginning a tower, it's not first down, sit down and calculate. Well, we begin by thanking you, Lord, because with all this rushing around, you want us to sit down and calculate the size of our tower, the cost of our efforts, all our nerves, all our stresses. To sit down, he says, which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down 
encounter God. So this idea of sitting down is what we're doing. We're stopping, we're calculating, we're looking over the plans, we're looking over details and see the bigger picture of the year. How is 2020 gone for you in your interior life? We have to see how the tower of our sanctification is being is going. And we are happy, Lord, to sit down. Of course, we're happy because it means we can rest a bit. I know you're happy to be here with you, with, with the Lord, to finally sit down, to maybe to read, to pray, to break off from the, the feverish rush of things, the, the phone. But he says, imagine not being able to finish what you began years ago. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, he's not able to finish. The mockery. Imagine not being able to finish what you began years ago. However many years ago you whistled, I know you want to finish, but it's, it's a tower that's still being built. It's not finished. It's not done yet. I know you want to persevere in that loyalty to God, that fidelity to your vocation, that yes that you began years ago, and that you still have more ahead. It's a real construction project. As I think of this image of the tower, I think of Father Greg in the hospital, a picture of him, weak, anemic, pneumonia, low hemoglobin, very, very, very thin, barely able to speak. But he still had a touch of humor even even though he was so weak. But when you saw Father Greg, you, you sense the tower has been built. And there in the hospital, he asked for an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Around, precisely around December, and it was in January, he passed away, but around December, he asked for a lady, Our Lady of Guadalupe. I seem to recall having brought, we had quite a few images of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I brought him one so that he could look at her now, just as our father did in the last day of his life. If Father Greg was thinking about that, it, it means he was thinking also about our father and the way our father died and had built that tower. So it's important to ask, how is my tower going? Not whether or not I have completed it, but how well are the foundations laid? How is the revetment? Any tower, you can imagine, needs good foundations. It needs human prudence. It needs patient daily work. It has to be able to weather the storms, the earthquakes, the, the emotional storms, the, the, the storms of pride that enter, of mere tiredness, of human vision. We have to, the temptation to human vision can come. 
when the apostolate is not going as we, we would have liked. We know that Christ is the, is the cornerstone of our life. Maybe other things have been the cornerstone. Maybe other things. Maybe my, just my, my activism has been a kind of a cornerstone. My, my discipline, my regular habit of work, the things I enjoy. What is, what is my cornerstone? Are you my cornerstone, Lord? Christ is the, the stone that the builders, builders rejected, but he is the cornerstone. I don't want to reject you. That's why we know that engineers like to go to areas where there have been earthquakes and they look at the buildings and some buildings crumbled, other buildings stayed up. And they study, okay, why did this building stay and why did this one fall? What was it about the building? What was it about the structural engineering that led one to fall and another one to stand? Or to weather the earthquake? So our father says in the way, Quia ik homo cepit edificare et non potuit consumare. He started to build and was unable to finish. A sad commentary, which, if you don't want, need never be made about you. For you possess everything necessary to crown the edifice of your sanctification, the grace of God and your own will. We have that, do we? We have the grace of God. We're going to have special grace during this retreat. But we have to want this too. We have to clear the land, clear the brush. The grace of God is coming. And it's coming in some ways, whether we like it or not. Just like those helicopters. Lord, I don't want to leave my building of sanctity incomplete or half finished. Let's be enthused that there's still floors that need to be added. There's still better revetment. There's still stuff we have to add to this building. And we have to examine, certainly, how well the foundations are. There's a, there's a story in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 16, about uh, that Egyptian teenager, Hagar, uh, who, she, well, she's a, only, she, as you know, she served as a concubine because um, Abram and Sarai uh, had been struggling with infertility for quite a few years, probably more than 10 years. And, uh, and so in comes this figure of Hagar. Hagar means, the, the name means stranger or sojourner. And so, well, Abram takes her and she successfully conceives a child. And uh, Sarai, the barren wife, well, she turns to Hagar and unleashes uh, mistreatment. She was very jealous of her. And um, it was a pretty, probably quite a severe mistreatment. Probably quite cruel. Probably some form of assault. Who knows? So... In the next scene, Hagar is on the run, heading for the desert. 
where by all accounts, just on her own there, it's very likely that she will, she will die. And it's there in the wilderness, in the geography of trauma and death, that, well, something miraculous happens. The presence of God finds this pregnant teenager and asks her what you could call the two best questions that we can be asked when we're in, in distress or perhaps at the very beginning of this retreat. It's an angel. It's the first time an angel comes and says, where have you come from and where are you going? Unde venis et quo vadis? Unde venis? Where have you come from? Where have you been this past year? But where are you going? And we don't know this mysterious figure, but it's the first time in the Bible that there is mention of an angel of the Lord. But really, it is God himself who comes to her and at least makes himself visible to her in some way. But as was the case with Hagar, the voice of God is never a harsh voice. It's never accusatory, filled with frustration. We can imagine the voice of God that came from heaven when Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. It must have been a powerful, well, paternal voice, warm voice, uh, appealing, at the same time inviting. It was not threatening. It wasn't like Darth Vader style of voice. So God's voice God's presence invites you in this retreat to a greater reflection to see how you have become what you are today. How is it that you came to be what you are today? In your vocation. It means you have to reflect more deeply on not just generically that you're here, So here too, we are in a certain way, like Hagar, we are in a desert, cut off from the normal traffic of life, from emails and texts, and, and the Lord is coming to you and asking that, that question, where are you coming from? Where is your vocation going now? Where is it headed? You know, somebody said the other day, you know, where are you going to be in five years from now? Who knows? What dangers do you see? What joys have you had this past year? What sadnesses did you have this year? What can I do to be a better, a better numerary? More effective, more apostolic. Not more perfect in things, but maybe more generous? Or better, maybe we can do that. What are the reasons for thanksgiving that I can list? Reasons of thanksgiving. Certainly we must start with thanksgiving. 
And of course, we will go over the essential truths of our life. And when I, when I finally first saw the work in 1928, it was like seeing a beautiful building with all the accoutrements of a building, like that tower. But like, like when you see a building, you see the facade, you see the decoration, but you don't see the foundations necessarily. Well, you kind of assume they're there, but you don't go down and look at them. It's only later that the foundation stones and, and, and structure comes to be seen, especially with his experience of divine filiation there in 1931, a few years later. So much so that he, he came to say that divine filiation is, is the, well, the foundation of our spirit. It was a tremendous grace that was poured onto him. It was like the, the helicopter that came down. He, he must have cleared the path or cleared the, the brush because he never forgot that. Well, maybe the Lord too will land a special grace for you during this retreat as well. I pray that it be the case. In fact, we even have tramways here in Toronto, so who knows? This will be the moment. He'll give you a special grace. And it won't be a harsh or accusatory voice, but a gentle, full of tremendous love. And uh, when the Father was first selected, well, he spoke about uh, the centrality of the person of Christ. That he, that, you know, we can ask ourselves that, the centrality of the person of Christ. So that means we have to ask, has, has uh, the Lord... His persona, his, his humanity, the sacred humanity, has it somehow ended up in the peripheries of my life, in some way, of my existence. Of course, I know he exists, I, I, know he, I believe in him, but, but maybe what is central in my, in my work, or the perfect accomplishment of my work, is, it's just the recognition of others, that people recognize me, or they like me, or, or so I had to prove myself, uh, my, the worthiness of my work, or just the, you know, the activism of, of wanting to get things done, and I could end up burning myself out and not resting, and activism and all that. So let's make sure our Lord goes away from the peripheries, to the center because we're still building that tower that our Lord spoke about and we've come here to be with him to set aside these days to examine the plans the tower the blueprints any degrees of difference between the plans and the execution the realization and after all Jesus himself well he went out into the desert to pray where he was tempted but it was a real preparation for his mission. So let's ask our Blessed Mother. She'll guide us in this retreat and, and help us to make it really very effective, full of very, very um, generous uh, resolutions. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. 
my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.